Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. The topic is the banking industry, and we're talking today with Michael Jacobson, President of Nebraska Land National Bank and Chairman-Elect of the Nebraska Bankers Association. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Great to be with you today. Michael, tell us a bit about Nebraska's banking institutions in general, and yours in particular. How are you impacted by the recent global economic issues that we are all aware of? Well, Tom, I, I would tell you that uh, there's about 245 banks across Nebraska, uh, and we're, we're all, uh, of the banks in Nebraska, about 90% of them are considered ag banks, where at least 25% of our portfolio uh, is committed to agriculture. Our bank is a little less than that. We're not considered an ag bank per se, even though we're in west central Nebraska. Uh, we have about uh, 15% ag in our portfolio. Uh, amazingly, we do have a higher level of commercial real estate loans in our portfolio, uh, but we've been able to fare really quite well. Um, if you look across Nebraska, uh, our economy the last couple of years has been very strong, uh, largely driven by commodity prices, uh, grain prices in particular. Land prices are up significantly. Uh, cash rents on farmland is up. And that's creating more deposit volume because we've got a lot of lot of retired farmers and widows of farmers who are landowners who are benefiting from the higher cash rents and the higher farm income. Uh, that's that's coming into greater bank deposits. Um, but I would tell you that uh, what we're seeing is we're more driven by the agricultural economy as a state uh, than we probably are by some of the other things that are going on at Wall Street. Uh, we do have a few banks who have uh, higher concentrations that did go outside of the Nebraska market and have gotten involved in some with some LPOs uh, in other markets that that uh, had some uh, exposure uh, to residential real estate, uh, and they've seen some impact uh, from uh, the downturn, certainly in the housing. Uh, but I would say, as a general rule. Uh, Nebraska banks are all very highly capitalized uh, as a group uh, and have fared extremely well up to now. Now, Mike, how do you gauge the level of customer confidence in your institution, and has it changed at all in the past year? I would say that the customer confidence has remained uh, very strong, and I think a lot of that is the benefits that community banks have, is that community banks have a much closer relationship with their customers uh, I can tell you that uh, I get a number of our larger customers who will just stop by my office and and ask how things are going. Uh, they know that as one of the principal shareholders of the, of the holding company, uh, I've got the bulk of my retirement uh, invested in this bank and and in this holding company. And they're um, uh, so I think they know that uh, I've been around here. I've got a keen focus on what's going on. And they've seen the growth of the bank, and they've seen uh, our lack of of, of losses uh, on the credit side uh, as a very good indication that uh, the bank's being managed well, and that uh, we're not getting involved in products and assets that uh, that could be uh, problematic for us in the future. And so, um, I feel like that we've got a that that the confidence level is is very high and has remained that way even though I continue to get more questions along the way on how's everybody doing. 
And I, and I, but I think that's pretty indicative of what happens across the state of Nebraska in the bulk of our institutions because uh, the bulk of the banks across Nebraska is $100 million in assets. Now, just for context here, give a little bit of background on the sort of the origins of your institution and how it's grown over, what, about a decade? Yeah, we were chartered. I chartered this bank uh, 10 years ago. Uh, I uh, put an investor group together. We raised $3 million to capitalize the bank initially. Uh, two years later, I bought out uh, two of the uh, original uh, primary shareholders and brought in several smaller shareholders. And so there are two of us who now are the principal shareholders, and we've got a number, about 30 minority shareholders uh, as well. We formed a holding company uh, six years ago, and uh, we uh, the bank has, has grown from uh, this particular bank, Nebraska Land National, has grown from uh, really from zero. Uh, we're sitting at $225 million in total assets today, have about $190 million in loans. Uh, two years ago, uh, we chartered another new bank, Rock Springs, Wyoming, uh, that we call Commerce Bank of Wyoming. Um, went to Rock Springs because uh, a good friend of mine is, is a build-a-suit developer and was building a new building out there for Halliburton. Uh, that uh, Rock Springs area is very big in natural gas, and uh, the, the economy is growing very, very rapidly there and we've seen tremendous growth there. And that bank now is about $65 million in assets. Uh, and so on a combined basis, our holding company is just under $300 million in assets today. Now, you've got an advantage, as you were saying, because a lot of your customers can drop in, speak with you. You see them on the streets. I'd be curious, what specifically do you hear from customers who are watching the news reports, and what do you say to them? Well, I think one of the questions I get a lot is, is they, they want to know uh, what, what is going on there's a lot of questions about these derivatives and and what are derivatives and they all they hear about derivatives is that they're bad and uh, and I'm there to kind of explain to them keep in mind that we're kind of in farm country here and I explain to them that if you uh, have corn and you sell corn to a local grain elevator uh, on a for a future sale uh, that grain elevator is going to get on the board of trade and they're going to sell that corn on the board of trade and so that grain elevators entered into a derivative because they're they're in, entering into a contract uh, for a future delivery, which is really the, uh, what a derivative amounts to. Uh, now keep in mind then when you start looking at the kind of derivatives that have been thought up uh, on Wall Street, uh, they get very very complex, and that's what's what's created some of the problems is that uh, there's there's counterparty risk that uh, hasn't been measured as well. And I try to help explain to them that that the the regulated industries out there, commercial banks and and the insurance companies, uh, are have not really gotten themselves in trouble. The problems have been more in the area of the investment banks who had much uh, laxer regulation, much more limited regulation, and were able to leverage themselves much higher than what commercial banks have been able to do and what insurance companies have done. And the large money center banks that have run into some issues have primarily been because they've either been financing, uh, been involved in the financing or the purchase uh, through, uh, through their trading accounts in in some of these sophisticated CDOs, uh, in particular, that have created problems for them. And that when you really boil it down to the community banks, we've continued to be involved in really our bread and butter kind of basic lending, lending to Main Street, lending to agriculture, 
and having some exposure to commercial and residential real estate development. Mike, is it overgeneralizing to say that a lot of what you've had to do is sort of differentiate between what happens on Wall Street and what happens on Main Street? Uh, there's no question about that. Um, I, I really had to help explain to them that, that what's going on on Wall Street at this point has been largely contained to Wall Street. Uh, but over time, uh, if the financial rescue plan was not passed and if the financial rescue plan does not get implemented uh, quickly uh, and doesn't work, that then we could see much bigger impact uh, in the Midwest. And, and I many times I've referred to this as the hurricane approach. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, I see us in the Midwest as being uh, two or 300 miles inland uh, from a coastal area that, that got hit by a hurricane. Uh, the coastal area being Wall Street gets hit by a hurricane and it creates a lot of damage where the eye of the storm hits. Uh, when you get two or 300 miles inland, uh, you might get a little rain, a little breeze, but you don't really get the impact, uh, the brunt of the hurricane. But if that hurricane is big enough and lasts long enough and goes far enough inland, we're actually going to start feeling those impacts uh, inland. And I think that's what I, how I see the economic environment today, is that if we can contain the damage quickly, and limit the amount of damage that occurs on Wall Street, uh, I think we will see a very muted impact uh, on Main Street in the Midwest. Uh, the longer the problems persist and the more we see the economy slow down, we will start feeling it more in the Midwest. Now, we've already seen even the FDIC is starting to become victim of, of phishing attacks. Do you find that some of your Nebraska institutions, given the economic conditions, are more susceptible now to phishing or social engineering or some of these other vulnerabilities? We think that that's continued to be a problem. Uh, I haven't seen significant changes as a result of the economy at this point. Uh, probably the bigger concern that we've had is that there has been some individuals, you hear uh, isolated cases where you've had uh, people get nervous and start withdrawing cash out of the bank and literally burying it in their backyard or buying a safe and putting it in a safe. Um, and we've really been cautious to remind people that the safe place for your money is in an FDIC-insured institution. And in this checklist society that we're moving to today, your access to cash and your ability to pay bills online, over the phone, using a debit card, using a credit card, there's not a lot of need for this cash, and you've got to remember that if uh, that if the FDIC or if, you, or if you have concerns about the federal government's ability uh, to support uh, the institutions, uh, those those green dollars aren't going to be worth anything if the government's not there. And as long as the government's there, and I believe they will be, uh, the FDIC is going to be there, and and your insured deposits will be there. And so, uh, the biggest thing I found is making reassuring people and making sure they understand that carrying a bunch of cash on your person or in your home makes, your, makes you more vulnerable, not less. Well, you make a good point about outreach. How is it that, that you and your bank are able to reach out to customers? Do you have sort of formal ways that you've been doing it? We uh, do it a couple of ways. We send a quarterly newsletter uh, in our statements to our customers, and uh, amazingly, uh, we get a lot of lot of feedback from the, the quarterly newsletters, and so it's an opportunity to share with them current topics. Uh, you know what's happening. Then we also will will do some statement stuffers as we need to to uh, uh, to allow to to get more current information out to customers. 
Uh, we also have electronic message centers at all of our main facilities that we can also communicate messages uh, that way. Um, and so, uh, and then we also do a lot of surveying of our customers uh, and, uh, and and get their feedback. Um, what's kind of remarkable is we just completed an annual survey that we do with our customers, and we had a 75% response from the surveys that were mailed out. So I find that as an incredible response. Uh, and and there, a lot of the surveys have places for you fill in the blank, and it's rare that you don't see them filling in the blank and giving us feedback that way. So we feel that we've got a very close connection uh, with our customers. It's one of the greatest advantages that community banks have is that close contact, that personal contact that we have with our customer base, uh, and it really helps us in these kinds of times uh, to communicate very quickly uh, and very succinctly to our customers, and they can see and feel what's going on. Given the economic conditions, what would you say your top two or three business objectives are right now? Do you plan any further expansion or new services? I would tell you that right now, uh, I'm, I've, I've probably always been a pretty conservative uh, banker. If you look at our loss history here, um, uh, ironically, and, 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 it's, and it's kind of hard to believe, but we've written off less than $100,000 in loan losses collectively over the last 10 years uh, with a hundred and well, between the two banks now about two hundred and twenty five million dollars in loans uh, gross loans um, the, the way we've done that is we've been very cautious about the kind of loans we make uh, the kind of concentrations on uh, the kind of exposures that we take on uh, right now I think our view is that we have very strong capital we've got uh, almost ten percent tier one capital uh, we're running close to 12% risk-based capital. Um, our view is we want to continue to grow our capital uh, in these times uh, by retaining uh, the earnings. Um, we're intentionally probably going to slow our growth over the next couple of years uh, to continue to build the war chest of capital and continue to build reserves. Uh, and so we think that there will probably be some opportunities for growth uh, but they'll be. But I'll probably look more on the back end of of the crisis that we're going through today, rather than getting too anxious on the front end. Uh, so we think that we will be uh, continuing to look for opportunities, but we want to make sure that we're in a position to serve all of our relationship customers. Uh, but we're probably going to be less interested in doing an outreach to go to non-customers, particularly those that might be outside of our immediate trade territory. Now, how about in terms of you know, regulatory compliance and risk management, some of the things that you have to do? What will be some of your priorities there? Well, uh, we're a national bank, and, and I can tell you that, that uh, the OCC, I've always felt, uh, uh, tends to paint their banks with one brush. Um, it doesn't matter how big you are. Um, these, are what we, these are the requirements we have. Uh, and and as, a, as a little bit of a credit to the OCC, I think they saw the, the commercial real estate and the residential real estate problems coming much earlier than some of the other regulators did. Uh, however, at the same time, uh, the OCC uh, becomes almost punitive when it comes to some of the reporting that they're requiring. Uh, as you can imagine, looking at our capital levels and looking at our asset quality, um, we have a very good rating with the OCC. Uh, with that said... Uh, I still find that there's an incredible amount of reporting that they want to see us doing. And uh, a lot of it is things that we're doing, we were doing anyway, but there's 
the, the degree to which they want to see us move it further. Uh, and what I'm talking about there is when you're starting to look more at global cash flow analysis of your guarantors, uh, right on down to verifying liquid balances that they show on their personal statements, uh, doing portfolio stress testing, individual stress testing. Uh, many of those things we're already doing, uh, but I think that uh, the degree to which they want to drill down and get it portfolio-wide um, has, has really caused us to uh, increase some of our staffing and increase some of our time commitment uh, really just to making certain that we keep uh, in compliance with all of the expectations. Um, I, by nature, am very focused on compliance. Uh, we don't really do compliance for the regulators. We do it for ourselves. But we're finding that what the regulators want to see in compliance, uh, that bar has been raised significantly, and it's taking more time to, to completely be in compliance with everything they want. Now, Michael, you're the chairman-elect of the Nebraska Bankers Association, so I wanted to ask you, going forward, what do you see as some of the best ways that banking security executives can enhance and maintain this customer confidence that we've discussed? Well, I think the, the one thing is that we need to lead by example. Um, I think it's, it behooves us to really uh, take good care of our institutions, um, uh, which really means that we've got to recognize that if we've got bad assets, we need to deal with them and deal with them early. Uh, we need to keep strong capital. Uh, I, I think uh, for most of us, if we're really looking at if we had any expansion plans, now might be a time to shelve those expansion plans and really focus on making sure uh, that base is absolutely strong and solid and uh, and and can sustain uh, any future downturns that we might continue might see in the economy if things don't turn. Uh, and and certainly that's the approach we've taken here. Uh, safety and soundness is of the utmost importance to us, and uh, and we've uh, really redoubled our efforts to identify any potential weaknesses in the portfolio and deal with them very early and very decisively. And I, and I think the best way to build customer confidence is to be able to reflect uh, solid numbers with solid capital. And again, as I look across Nebraska, uh, if you go look at the numbers, uh, you're going to find that Nebraska banks historically have been very, very strongly capitalized. And I'm talking that many, uh, on average, most financial institutions, uh, banks in Nebraska, would run far above one, uh, 10% pr uh, Tier 1 capital in their banks, and many of them have raised capital that approaches 20%. Uh, so that kind of capital strength will take us a long way. And if you really look at the, in Nebraska at the number of problem loans that were reported uh, and you look at the amount of collective loan loss reserves in all the banks, you could write off 100% of all the problem assets that were reflected on Nebraska Bank's balance sheets on June 30, and there was enough collective money in the loan loss reserves if there was 100% loss on those loans, and there would still be money left in the reserve without even touching the capital accounts. So Nebraska banks are very, very strong, and I think we've got to continue to keep that message out there with our customers to understand that the banks themselves are strong, that the FDIC is strong, and uh, there's really no reason to be afraid about putting your money into a Nebraska bank. And instead of chasing treasury yields uh, that are uh, less than 1%, uh, you can get into banks today and earn in, in the mid-3s 
for that same money and have it just as safe as you would in a, in a United States Treasury bill. Very good point. One last question for you. We saw yesterday nine major banks receive about $125 billion. What do community banking institutions like yours need, if anything, to move forward? Well, I think that the steps that have been taken, uh, uh, particularly yesterday with the unlimited uh, FDIC insurance coverage for non-interest-bearing accounts, was, was big. Uh, that was one of the things that we've looked at uh, as it relates to we've got a title insurance company that's got an account here that keeps major balances in it. Uh, they, of course, when it's in a trust account, they would like to have it all insured or covered up with a deposit guarantee bond. Uh, they're non-interest-bearing accounts, so that really fixed that problem for us. Uh, if there was anything that I would probably have on my wish list right now would be that the FDIC or the would, would, would 100% uh, insure uh, public funds on, on uh, account uh, with banks, even the, the interest-bearing public funds. Uh, if that could happen, that would free up the pledging that we uh, free up our bond portfolio that that currently is used to pledge for those public funds. Uh, that would free up some additional liquidity, and uh, because I think for community banks, uh, our big issue is continue to maintain liquidity. We think that'll probably be solved as we see more and more flight to quality and more and more customers uh, probably getting out of the market, going into an FDIC insured deposit. Uh, raising the deposit levels to $250,000 is is good and has helped, uh, but I would tell you the concern there is the sunset on December 31st of 09. There's a lot of questions out there today. Uh, if a customer comes in today and writes a two-year CD for $250,000, it's going to mature after the J- December 31st, 2009 uh, sunset on the on the coverage level. So the question is, will that CD be insured after that time or not? And <clears throat> those are questions that the FDIC is not in a position to answer today. And so I think as we can clear up more of the uncertainty that lies in those areas, uh, that would give more sense of, uh, of, of confidence on our customers' part. So those are the areas I guess I would look at is maybe getting all public funds covered just as the non-interest-bearing funds are and bringing some more clarity as to what happens at the sunset. Um, it, uh, it would seem to me that if I wrote a five-year CD today or a two-year CD today for 250000 that as long as it's written before the December 31st sunset, that it would be completely insured uh, to, ma- to maturity. And I think that would help clarify uh, some of the questions in customers' minds today. Makes sense. Michael, I appreciate your time and your insight today. It's been very helpful. Thank you very much. We've been talking with Michael Jacobson. The discussion has been about the banking industry and confidence. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.